Midwife Calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast. The show where we watch every episode of Call the Midwife one by one without spoilers and recap and chat about them for you. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paul Moffat, not that kind of doctor. And this week we are talking about the second episode of season four of Call the Midwife. This episode was written by Heidi Thomas and directed by Juliet May. Heidi Thomas I hope you're familiar with by now, created the show. We see her an awful lot. Most recently, she wrote the very last episode, the first episode of this season. Juliet May directed three episodes in season three. Uh, Most recently, the fourth episode of season three, which is the episode where Alec dies. Mm. Uh, I hope spoilers of the past is okay. (laughs) Yes, I think spoilers (laughs) of the past is okay. Yeah, we can't. We can't just talk about the show in a vacuum. <laughs> that would be absolute nonsense. And noisy. <laughs> so mature Jenny continues with the narration. She narrates about spring. Sister Julianne gets caught in the rain while gardening. Sister Winifred and Sister Evangelina take the bus while a pregnant mom runs to give lunch to her husband, the bus driver. Sister Evangelina reveals that she needs a hysterectomy, and Sister Julianne convinces her that she does need to go. Trixie plans the engagement party and receives presents throughout the episode. She's concerned with all the fancy things surrounding the engagement, leading to her and Tom fighting. Temporary new midwife Phyllis Crane arrives in her car, putting everyone off with her brisk manner, vegetarianism, and Rolodex. (laughs) She does not get along with Sister Evangelina. Sister Julienne takes Sister Winifred with her to meet a potential donor, Mr. Newcastle, who turns out to be an old friend of Sister Julienne's. He calls her Louise and reveals their past relationship. She leaves in distress with Sister Winifred trying to cheer her. Um, do you want to start with Phyllis, uh, with the new midwife here? Let's talk Nurse about Crane. yes. Uh, by the end of the episode, we know her first name at first. We, I think she's just Nurse, Nurse Crane, Crane, but Phyllis Crane. Yeah. Um, she, she comes in very brusque. Yes. Very bristly. Mm-hmm. The first thing, like, she says is, is Barbara says, hello, Barbara, like, so cheerful and, like, wide-eyed yes. and is like, hello, and Phyllis is like, I was taught not to say hello. We say good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, unless you are an American. Hello, ah! apparently, is very American. I can see it. I can see it, though. Oh, man, what an introduction. Yep. Uh, and she comes in with a car yeah, instead of a, a bike. Really, yeah, this is a really big deal that every other nurse that's been introduced has been on foot, on bicycle. They have never come in in a car. And so this is a a whole new thing to have someone who has a car and someone who is going to drive her car to see patients. Yeah. She's submitting her receipts for her petrol and driving to see patients. And this is like, we've only ever seen Dr. Turner do this. Yes. 
That's Never very true. I mean, it's partly like it. She's older than any nurse we've seen except the sisters. Yeah. Like by a lot. Yeah. So it's partly, you know, she's in a different stage of her life mm-hmm. and her career, and but also her life. Yeah, like exactly. she's not hopping on a bike and biking around. She's like, I know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's all signaled by driving up. It's like she's in a different stage of life. She's in a different stage of her relationship to the world. Yeah. And she's like used to coming in and being the boss mm-hmm. we get that i don't know if you're gonna talk about it but we yeah, get that we get, in a second we get that throughout the episode we get uh her being seen as old by the younger midwives as well we have uh, barbara jokes that she's worried she's gonna take her teeth out and put them in the glass of water beside the bed she definitely takes the entire episode to soften even slightly and one among her, as you said, among her prickly characteristics is she is a vegetarian. Yes. <laughs> Which is also like... I mean, that is a big... In the 60s in London, like, you just... Vegetarianism is so newfangled in that era. It signals, just like the Rolodex does, like it signals that she is newfangled she is not interested in doing things the traditional way yeah she may be older but that does not mean that she is a traditionalist yes it also signals that she's very opinionated because even today like uh no few people are vegetarians by default you're a Mm. vegetarian because you have made choices about how to eat especially in like england or canada yeah um there are places in the world where you can be a vegetarian by default. But, like, in the in London in the 60s, like, vegetarianism is not just hard to get along with. It also, like, signals she is not a traditionalist and she has made choices and she's opinionated and she's going to stand yep. by them. Exactly, exactly. I like it. I like, I mean, I, I, by the end of the episode, I like her as... Even from the beginning, I like her as a character, mm. even if I don't necessarily like her as a character. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's always good to, like, to have someone as a counterpoint to Sister Evangelina. Yeah. And we've gotten that again and again with different midwives. We had, you know, Patsy come in, who was all efficient and impressed Sister Evangelina. And she didn't really know what to do with that feeling <laughs> of being impressed. We had Barbara coming in and messing up a whole bunch and Sister Evangelina just rolling her eyes and being exasperated. And then we have this new woman coming in who's usurping Sister Evangelina. Yeah, and I always think of the major like uh, counterpoint to Sister Evangelina is Sister Monica Joan. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting to see uh, Phyllis, Nurse Crane as a counterpoint to Sister Evangelina in the opposite direction. Yeah. Like, Sister Evangelina is so practical and no-nonsense and down-to-earth compared to Sister Monica Joan, who's so airy-fairy. And Nurse Crane comes in and makes Sister Evangelina seem like this soft, pushover, airy-fairy person. It's awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> I amazing. really like it's it. It's amazing. And Sister, Van- but Sister Evangelina is offended by that because... She knows that softness is important at certain times. And yes. so she is worried by the end of the episode that she won't be the right kind of person to provide care. And of course, that's usurped, and we'll chat about that in a second. And the reason that Phyllis is here at all is to, like, is literally to replace Sister Evangelina. 
Like she's filling in. She comes in on a temporary assignment. One of the things mm. that she rubs the wrong way is like, we'll get you a uniform. And she's like, well, it's temporary. So I'm going to stick with the uniform I have. Yeah. Um, and she specifically is like a more senior nurse with the, the duties that Sister Evangelina usually takes because Sister Evangelina is meant to be leaving. Yeah. To go get a hysterectomy. Do you mm. want to talk a bit about her and her deal? Yeah. Well, I mean, in the last episode, she's been in pain. Well, for a couple of episodes, she's been in pain. She finally goes to see the doctor and finds out that she needs a hysterectomy. Fibroids, it is. So that's... I think it's similar to endometriosis. It might even be a different word for the same thing. I forgot to look that up. Hmm. Um, but... They say, like, they... Based on knowledge only from the episode... It's not life-threatening or serious. No, it's not life-threatening or serious, but, but it's, it causes causing, pain. it's causing pain. And the solution, especially for a woman of her age, is a hysterectomy. And like she says, hilariously, just an old pocket and some apron I'll never use. <laughs> <laughs> Which is hilarious. Um, and she, at first she doesn't want to take off the time, but Sister Julianne convinces her that she has a, sec- a midwife coming... To fill in, it's fine. And we see that, I mean, that's part of, too, why she and Nurse Crane butt heads, is that both Nurse Crane is kind of a contrast to her in the opposite direction from Sister Monica Joan, but she's also, like, literally her replacement. And it would be easier to take a replacement who wasn't like you, Mm -hmm. and I think especially... Like the things that people uh, find off-putting about Sister Evangelina are the things that Sister Evangelina sees in Nurse Crane. Yes. And I think that it's like especially grating to be replaced by someone who is too much like you and especially like the parts of you that people don't like and Mm. maybe you don't like about yourself. Yep. She wants... So she like gets to be the soft one and gets to emphasize that it's important to be soft and caring when that's not usually her like she is soft and caring but that's not usually the she's not usually the one pulling people back from harshness yes exactly um so the other thing that happens in this beginning is trixie starts to get presents and congratulations on her and tom's engagement yes and Trixie, in her very Trixie-like way, is planning a big engagement party and she's looking into, like, Claridge's and these fancy places and is, and is you know, putting feelers out and, you know, starting with the fanciest and then working her way down. And, uh, I mean, I'm jumping ahead a bit, but this causes a lot of tension between her and Tom throughout the episode. And then I feel like this plot... Uh... I don't dislike it at all, but it seems quite uh, by the numbers. Yeah. Like, we don't even have to have seen this happen to be like, well, Trixie's going to want a fancy engagement party and Tom is not. And Mm -hmm. they're going to compromise or they're not really going to compromise. Tom is going to win because although Trixie likes her fanciness, she actually understands that uh, giving to others is better 
when she has to make choices and Tom kind of brings that up, like the money mm-hmm. should be better spent on others. And she pushes, anyway, we have, we'll get to it. But like, I feel like the beats of this conflict are a little telegraphed before the episode even starts in just their characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not a bad thing. I am bothered by the resolution of it, to be mm. honest. I like that Trixie comes around, but I feel like she compromises too much. Yeah. That... Trixie likes those things. She likes dressing nice and being a little bit fancy. And this is her wedding. She should be allowed to have some fancy things for it and surrounding it. And I understand, like, it feels like Tom has no sense of compromise whatsoever. He's just upset. Yeah. And I can really see the point. And it fits in with the show that they want to be giving and whatnot but i think she has a real point when she says you know our entire lives yeah they're both of their careers are about giving 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 let's you know indulge a little bit and spend and i think tom doesn't come around to that at all and by the end of the episode they just celebrate in the Nodis house like, yeah with it's a not little... even in the community center it's not even like she has Anything? 98 people invited at first, and yeah. it ends up, looks like there's seven people. Yeah, yeah just... I do agree, like, we're jumping to the end of the episode, yeah. but let's do it. Let's jump to the end of the episode and be like, I feel like this is also a plot dynamic we've seen play out on Call the Midwife before, and usually it's kind of, I'm fine with it. Like, we saw it with uh, Chummy's mother wanted a different kind of yeah. wedding from what Chummy did, and it ended up being the same kind of, like... Everything is just in Donata's house. And that was good because that was what both Chummy and Peter wanted. Exactly. Whereas now... I feel like Chummy is a great example where she grew up with all those rich trappings and doesn't aspire to them anymore. Mm -hmm. And never did. Whereas Trixie didn't. And so she likes a bit of that stuff. And that's nothing... Like, I feel like the show is saying there's something wrong with that. And they don't usually... And say I, that yeah it feels to me like exactly like you said that like i said i misspoke earlier when i said they compromise because they don't compromise actually trixie yeah. gets nothing she wants yeah and the show presents it as trixie has come around but i feel blind, like it, but... i feel like there's a uh and when i say too that this whole plot is telegraphed by their characters before the episode even starts like there's they kind of see the world quite differently mm-hmm. when it when it comes down to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the engagement party, though, brings me to one last thing I would like to talk about in this beginning part, mm-hmm. which is the Sister Monica Jones, or Sister Julianne, I mean, in the rain doing her gardening and the voiceover. Uh, mm-hmm. The voiceover says, um, spring can be brutal. Green shoots grow sharp and the clouds are unforgiving. And the imagery of Sister Julianne gardening in the rain mm. and the like being rained out from gardening. And then she goes in and discovers the roof is leaking. And it's like uh, gardening in the rain is such a metaphor because the garden won't grow without the rain. But the rain is cold and unpleasant and drives her away. Mm. And we see that in the Trixie Tom plot a bit that like their engagement party at the end their engagement in general like it's a mixed blessing Mm -hmm. all the happinesses in this episode are mixed happinesses Mm. 
Yeah. That's what this episode, I think, thematically is centering on, is this, like, gardening in the rain. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good thing to, to mention early on, is gardening in the rain is absolutely a theme in this episode. So the next kind of plot point I wanted to talk about is uh, what comes next is the other one of the other plots in this episode is uh, Sister Julianne's old friend slash boyfriend or potential boyfriend or whatever. Um, I love that we get revealed Sister Julianne's name. Yeah, her birth, Louise. Na- her birth name is Louise. And the- it feels to me like this is again the big theme of the episode that like the gift that comes because he's dying mm-hmm. and the reconnection with an old friend who which is the reconnection with the life that she gave up and i don't think that like we get in this conversation that like you know he still kind of has uh, a torch for her. Yeah, absolutely. He or not does. maybe not kind of. Yeah, and like he regrets that they didn't get together, and it's been like thirty years. And that uh, is again like this whole mixed blessing thing that like connecting with a past friend, uh, romantic interest. Um, I hate. <laughs> this is just like a personal. I hate the the. Uh, Freeze, lover. <laughs> mm, yeah. it's, it's gross to me. He's their old flames. A, old flame, an old bow, <laughs> an old suitor. Oh, see, I don't like bow. I really don't like the word <laughs> bow. So don't ever use that word again. <laughs> an old flame, like connecting with an old flame, is bittersweet. Yeah, absolutely. Even if he wasn't dying, mm-hmm. like because it represents the possibility that didn't happen. Yeah, and even if she doesn't. I don't know. We could talk about whether we think she regrets it. Yeah. He regrets it. He regrets it. And whether she regrets it or not, it's bittersweet. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So they apparently, the story with them is they were going to meet up and go see City Lights with Charlie Chaplin, the movie. And they weren't going with Charlie Chaplin. No, they weren't going with Charlie Chaplin. (laughs) He's in the movie, City Lights. It's a great movie. Go watch it. Anyway, (laughs) public domain now. Bloody masterpiece, I'm told. Yeah, exactly. That's what he says. And uh, she stood him up and wrote him a letter. And apparently, like, stood him up to go join a convent. It seems like, yeah. Which seems, which seems like a lot. Exactly. You can see where he's kind of pining now, forever because yeah. of that. They never got to go on their date. Instead, she became a nun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Harsh. Wow. Yeah. Uh... Sister Winifred in this whole exchange is just like, in on one hand, so like blissfully naive to what exactly is happening, but also just relentlessly cheerful. What does he say about her? He calls her relentlessly good natured, relentlessly which good is nature. exactly correct. Like not yeah. just in this interaction, but in general, Sister Winifred is relentlessly good natured. It's the best description of her, mm-hmm. and like they, the two of them are like, yes. And it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe a little, they don't say, but like the look in their eyes is like, it's maybe a little much sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Relentlessly. Exactly. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, I feel like she's being a little naive that Sister Winifred is not quite getting 
what's going on. I think but... she's relentlessly good-natured. I don't yeah. think she's stupid. I think she's just putting the best face on and being positive about it. Yeah, that's true. And that does mean sometimes not giving people space for their sadnesses. Like, mm-hmm. there is, like, connected again to the theme of the episode. Like, being relentlessly good-natured has its positives, but, like, life isn't all good. Mm-hmm. And you can't just smile through... Or, like, if you just smile through things, that may be okay for you, but there are people who that's going to be insensitive to Mm. smile in their pain. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think Sister Winifred is stupid or trying to be insensitive, but, like, she's not giving them space for their sad, bittersweet Mm. awkwardness. Yeah. And they need that. Mm Mm-hmm. So the th- third plot in this episode is the mom, Abigail Bazette. Uh, I mentioned her in the beginning that she ran to give her husband his lunch. Mm-hmm. So this is Abigail and Terrence Bazette. They're Caribbean and often talk about their baby dancing. Uh, Barbara tends to Abigail Bazette, a Caribbean mom who takes care, who talks of her baby dancing, but they struggle to find a heartbeat. Barbara panics and takes her to the hospital and then races around to find her husband, leading to a scolding from the other nurses. Later, Abigail runs from the hospital after feeling trapped in a bed and witnessing a mom, witnessing a woman who is post a legal abortion. She ends up opting to give birth at home instead. We don't have a lot. I mean, like, I feel like on this show, we have a lot of less than positive experiences of hospital yes. birth. Yes. And this definitely. is yet another one. Like, maybe yeah. this is worse than most, even. Mm-hmm. The, like, uh, failed abortion yeah. that she witnesses is, like... Very traumatic. Bloody and upsetting, and a mm-hmm. woman screaming, and there's police, and there's blood, and it's, like, extremely upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also feel like... She's just not comfortable not in her home. Like, she wants to be up... Like, from the beginning of the episode, she wants to be up and about and up and, and helping her husband, you know, have a lunch and all these things. So putting her on bed rest and then putting her on bed rest not at home is, like, torture mm-hmm. for her, you know? And having, like, someone... Here's a bedpan for you. Yeah. Is... And what we've seen, I think, of hospitals on this show mm-hmm. <laughs> that we see again uh, is that hospitals are inflexible. Yeah. But human patients require flexibility. That yes, feels like that exactly. is a, a perspective on hospitals that this show has always. Mm-hmm. Is that the hospital people aren't bad people, but hospitals are inflexible and individuals require flexibility. Mm-hmm. And then there's also Barbara's in this, who, poor Barbara, is just in over her head. She panics. She, even though she's become more competent as a midwife, this is, she doesn't know what to do with a mom who's very, very worried the way Abigail is. And so when she can't get a hold of anyone at Nanatus or the doctor, she just calls an ambulance. And that was, I think... Is she, it is proof that it was the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Like, there's nothing about it that seems like it was the right thing to do. But it it is another way of showing the differences between Sister Evangelina and Phyllis. Because when she gets home, she gets a scolding from both of them in different ways. Yeah, Phyllis scolds her how to properly 
listen for a heartbeat and sister Evangelina scolds her the proper uh, rules and uh, yeah. guidelines of when to call an ambulance and when not to. Exactly. So and she made him as though they could both her. I mean, by the end of the episode, we know that she actually wasn't making a mistake with listening for the heartbeat. Yes, that's true. But she was missing something. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a more experienced midwife would have caught it. I don't yeah, know. It's hard to say. Hard to say. Yeah. She's so like... <laughs> she seems so like... Over her head in this yeah, episode. exactly. Exactly. And then at the end, like, oh, either someone needs to tell her husband. And Barbara's like, I'll do it. And the nurse is like, haven't you got anything else to do? She's like, oh, I do have something else yeah. to do. And runs, runs back to the to the daughter's house. Like, <laughs> oh, she's, she's another contrast to Phyllis. Yes, is. absolutely. Phyllis is all no-nonsense uh, efficiency. By the end of the episode, we know not really, but it seems at first to be, like, at the uh, expense of having any heart. Mm-hmm. And Barbara is all heart at the expense of having any efficiency or sense. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because she has no experience, and Phyllis has so much. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, the Nanata's house is leaking and rat-infested, leading Sister Julienne to break down and call Mr. Newcastle again. She visits him and they and they reconcile, watching the movie that they missed 30 years ago on a little date. Patsy and Fred teach their cubs about fire, leading to many burns, so Patsy invites her friend Delia to teach first aid. Later, the two of them eat fish and chips in the, in the chapel. So the Patsy and Fred, the... the way that it is set up, the editing of, like, today we're going to learn how to build fires. Cut. Cut back. Don't forget to apply the bandages. <laughs> Keep your bandages dry. Keep your and bandages dry and apply ointment for burns. Yeah. Like, it's so, we it's see nothing, but beautiful. it's, like, literally about ten seconds of, like, five seconds of how to build fires, five seconds of they all have burns. It's so funny. It's very funny. And then, yeah... Patsy's friend Delia comes yeah, in. Yeah, this is the introduction of Delia, uh, who it's revealed by the end of the episode. Yeah, and I mean, like, this, we have no spoilers, but this isn't the last we'll ever see of Delia. Yeah, I think that we know that by the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And we know, yeah, they are very close. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, like, let's not be uh Coy. coy about it by the she end of the episode and she spends the night at, yeah. in the residence maybe in there when she first shows up with the boy scouts maybe it's unclear what their relationship is but by the end of the episode they are not just friends mm-hmm. and we've already heard patsy say when trixie thinks that tom is cheating on her and patsy is like there's certain things he has and certain things he lacks for me and we were and like Oh, oh really? <laughs> eyebrow raise. I don't think that I just like. Does she think that Tom is cheating on her? She no. thinks Tom is like flirting inappropriately. Yeah, I don't right, think it's because right. she. I don't think she even suspects it has gone so far as cheating. You're right. Yes. But yeah, but Patsy is not interested in Tom, <laughs> and here we see uh, Delia is more Patsy's type. Yeah, exactly. So, and here we get the conclusion of Sister Julianne's story with Mister Newcastle. 
which is that they, well, not quite the conclusion because there is his death in the end, but the she leaves earlier without them discussing at all what the entail will be to the Nanata's house. And so she finally meets with him and they have this very sweet movie date. And they hold hands. And they hold hands. And I think this is where, like, we, uh, I said before, like, it's not clear whether Sister Julianne regrets this, regrets giving up on him. Mm-hmm. Do we know his first name? Mr. Newcastle. Yeah, I don't know. New, Newcastle? New Garden? Newcastle. Newcastle. Okay. You said it right. I just was not <laughs> sure of myself. I wasn't sure what I heard three seconds ago from you. Um, the, a couple of things about Sister Julianne and Mr. Newcastle. But like, I think this is the first time, if it's not the first time, it's one of the rare times that we see Sister Julianne without her wimple. Yeah. After their meeting, she goes home, she takes off her wimple, we see her hair and her mm-hmm. like looking in the mirror, and then she talks it over with Sheila. Yeah. That's the only appearance of Sheila in this episode. And that, like, of all... She says, like, of all people, you're the one I could talk to about this. And it's mm-hmm. like... I don't... I don't think that we take from that that Sister Julianne is considering leaving uh, her vocation and running away with him at all. Yeah. But I do think that, like, Sheila's the one who understands mm-hmm. that she's, like... She's having feeling longings. conflicted. She's having longings yeah. and she's feeling conflicted. And she like, she says to Sheila, one of the like really moving lines in this episode, she says, I'm so used to being, or I'm, I'm so used to having to be the wise one. Yeah. But like. She wants to do something unwise. Well, and she wants to like, she doesn't know what she wants. Mm. She doesn't know what to do. She's used to being the one people go to and she gives them their wisdom. And yeah. like, I, I love the, how humanizing this is for her. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. like, she's not just the senior nun font of wisdom who knows everything. She's like a woman with conflicted feelings that she doesn't want to run away. And, but she like, mm-hmm. probably if she was being very strict with herself, like going for uh, to watch the movie and hold his hand is probably not what she should do. Mm. (laughs) You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And we see, too, like, he says he kept, I forget what he kept of her, some memento of hers, and he asks her if she had any mementos, and she says the uh, religious life would frown on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which isn't an answer. Yeah. And then we see that she does. She she has has a picture in the book. Mm-hmm. And so there's like, I don't think it's as strong as that she regrets her choices, but she, like, it's raining when you're just gardening. Mm-hmm. Like, she can't, she gave stuff up that was actually given up. Mm-hmm. I love to, any glimpse we get of the nun's life pre-religious mm-hmm. orders, uh, like Sister Evangelina in that episode where we find out about her brother and... And her growing up in poverty and all that stuff. And also Sister Monica Joan and her relationship with her mother and her and her upbringing as well. All of that is so interesting to to find out. Yeah, because yeah, it's so humanizing because they're not just cardboard cutouts. They're mm. people with pasts. And yeah, exactly. uh, I mean, this show tends sometimes a little towards melodrama. 
Yeah. Or a lot towards melodrama. (laughs) But, like, even with that melodrama, like, the nuns have kind of a little bit of uh, dimension and depth to them. And even this is the most kind of dimensions we've seen to Sister Julianne, who has been uh, kind of too good for this world a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like seeing this of her. It's yeah. very touching to me. I do feel like a lot of the times nuns in fiction forget, people writing them forget that they weren't born a nun. Mm-hmm. And forget to include that aspect of it. I don't know what I'm specifically thinking of at all, but I just feel like in the past it's... Sister act. Sister, it's exactly, it's sister act. She's just like, uh, Whoopi Goldberg was always a nun in that movie. Wait, no, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want to watch sister act. I haven't seen sister act since like the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever it came out. Whenever it came out. Um... And she also, the last little thing on my mind about this interaction is that she is tired of having to be the wise one. She doesn't know what to do. She's conflicted. But what actually makes her call him is that the Nanatus roof is leaking and there are rats and she they need the money. Yeah, and exactly. she swallows her pride and mm-hmm. she swallows her uh, feelings it ends up being better for her feelings, but, like, she has to do what's best for Nanata's house, and she does. hmm Absolutely. So back to um, Abigail, Patsy, and Barbara deliver Abigail's baby, a stillborn girl, followed by an alive twin boy. They call Nanatus and Phyllis, sister Evangelina, and Dr. Turner all arrive. Phyllis and Sister Evangelina help the younger midwives cope with the loss and with the situation. Sister Evangelina sees Phyllis's competence and compassion and changes her mind about her. A distraught Patsy visits Delia at her nurse's residence for comfort and cries in her arms. She spends the night but leaves before anyone sees her. Sister Evangelina finally leaves for her surgery Mr. Newcastle passes away, but leaves enough to Nanatus to repair it. Tom comforts Abigail and Terence in helping them hold a memorial service for their lost child. Lastly, Phyllis decides to stay on permanently, and Trixie and Tom have an engagement party at Nanatus instead. So we haven't said, like we we did say a little bit, but uh, here's where Abigail Bissett's story kind of continues and this is most of her story really everything up to here has kind of been building towards this but this is where she becomes really the focus of the episode and this is where her rain springtime rain comes yeah this very painful uh she had undiagnosed twins and so the girl is born stillborn but then she has an alive boy but that doesn't make up for it so there's a couple things yeah i mean I had like I've seen all these episodes before but I had forgotten uh, that there were twins Mm. Um, we haven't seen a lot of actual stillborn births on this show Mm -hmm. we've seen complications after birth 
Um, but the like, the the pain and the grief and the like confusion before they get the answer of why that like we heard a heartbeat a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. and it feels like it's uh, Barbara has messed up a lot yeah exactly like that barbara said she heard a heartbeat when there wasn't one feels like a huge uh error Mm -hmm. and that the distress in barbara and patsy and like this was really hard this was a really hard uh climax of the episode Mm -hmm. and then we get the like explanation of the mystery and uh dr turner comes in and they're so happy and the there was twins there is an al- uh, another baby and he's alive and i i really really love the way that the show treats this that mm-hmm. like that doesn't make up for the first child for the first baby mm-hmm. okay it's Rain and, and gardening. It's like the uh, Terence, the father, says, I want to be happy, but I don't know how. Mm. Like I wrote down the exact line. It's probably something close to that because I remember lines. Like, I'm a, he said, oh. he says, I want to be glad, but I don't know how. And uh, later, she says, I feel afraid to love the baby that I have. Mm-hmm. And those two feelings that, like, I really like that the show, I feel like it would be so easy for a less thoughtful show to be like, yay! Yeah. <laughs> Happy ending! It turns out there was a baby after all. That You were expecting one and you got one. <laughs> you know, like, this other one's extra. But they don't, like... Yeah. And that was, like an attitude you would encounter. I mean, even to this day, I was going to say it's an attitude you might encounter back then, but even to this day, people can be really dumb about that kind of thing and not recognize how much of a loss it is to lose a twin. Mm -hmm. And that um, to have a funeral and that there was no right uh, R-I-T-E in the Book of Common Prayer for for Tom to have a funeral for them and he doesn't know what to do and then realizes you know that he can still have a memorial service of some kind but that idea of there's there was just nothing in place for a stillbirth mm-hmm. in the past and I'm glad that I feel like these days it's become a little less taboo and a little more we have funerals. Yeah. I definitely have known a few people who've had stillborn babies who have had funerals. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like, I don't, I can't pretend that I know personally, yeah, but I have seen, uh, I have seen and heard of an attitude of like, uh, mis carriage or even a stillbirth being like well don't don't really talk about it. like mm. it wasn't a real baby yeah uh and 
I like this show for this yeah, that it like recognizes that. it recognizes that it's a real loss and it treats the grief as uh, legitimate mm-hmm. and deserving of like full compassion. Uh, and that's the moment that like this is the the good part. The part I do like of uh, Trixie and Tom's story is that the way that the show frames it is not that Trixie doesn't uh, decides that the engagement party should be what Tom wants, but that she decides that she cares about the marriage more than the wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that I can like, I can buy that from yeah. her. That's very true that she sees, she sees who Tom is. Yeah. She sees him perform the funeral or the memorial service and recognizes the man that she loves in that and had kind of forgotten about being about that and amongst her excitement of a wedding there's the um while the besets are losing their their first uh baby and all that grief uh is happening we get interspersed with the nuns singing mm-hmm. and they're singing Psalm 90, um, which says, uh, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but um, Lord, thou hast been our refuge from one generation to another. Mm-hmm. And always when we talk about one generation to another during birth scenes, yeah, that that always feels uh, especially relevant. Yeah. And then it also ends with um comfort us show your thy servants thy work and thy children thy glory. And I we I didn't mark down the uh, uh the <laughs> exact moment when those words were said, but I noticed it at the time, so I don't remember exactly what was happening on the screen, but I noticed that they say show thy servants thy work as we're seeing the nuns working to care for Mm -hmm. uh, this family. And, like, we really get the comfort that the nuns are singing about is the comfort for the the us of the psalm. The comfort Mm -hmm. for us is that we do God's work. And the work that the show juxtaposes then is the work of caring for people in their grief and their physical needs but their emotional and spiritual needs Mm -hmm. and that like that's where the comfort that this psalm is talking about comes from is from showing us our work Mm -hmm. i thought that was just beautifully presented yeah absolutely um we also just, I have a collection of all the quotes that I just put at the bottom of my document. So I didn't talk about it at the moment. But one of the things, too, that um, when Sheila and Sister Julianne are talking and Sister Julianne doesn't know what to do when Sheila quotes, she says, What do you wish to know your Lord's meaning in this thing? Know it well. Love was his meaning. Um, do you know what she's, what that is? No. In the context of the episode, you might think it's from the Bible, but it is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Julian of Norwich. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that the book that she had the picture in? Yeah. The Julian of Norwich book? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's, I thought, uh, at f- I mean, it sounds like Julian of Norwich if you know her, mm-hmm. but she's like Sister Julianne. Mm-hmm. It's Julianne of Norwich. 
Right. Like that seems... Is that she's named after, possibly? I don't know. I mean, obviously, I don't know. She's fictional. But like... <laughs> uh, I, I, it's usually see Sister Julie Yen, and it's usually Julian of Norwich. Mm-hmm. Slightly different pronunciation, but I I feel like it's especially fitting. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the writers of the ep- the uh, writers the writer of the episode um, noticed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she didn't notice when Heidi Thomas was writing. Julian of Norwich for Sister Julianne. You said she's fictional, but actually she's based on a real person who I Who maybe was named. Yeah, we don't know if she was actually named Julianne. Yeah. So, that being said, uh, Heidi Thomas didn't name her. Yeah, you're right. Jenny. But Heidi Thomas uh, had someone quote Julian of Norwich to her at this moment. Yeah. Um, So Heidi Thomas noticed when she had her quoting from Julian of Norwich to Sister Julianne. Yeah. And that it's, I mean, Julian of Norwich is such a beautiful text yeah, too, beautiful. that like, uh, you wish to know your Lord's meaning in this thing, know it well, love was his meaning. Mm-hmm. Who reveals it to you, love? What did he reveal to you, love? Why does he reveal it to you? For love. And that's like, the answer too of like, the gardening in the rain, the uh, twins, mm-hmm. the mixed blessings, or not mixed blessing is even the wrong word, the like joy and grief mingled together. Mm-hmm. Those are both, and let me be kind of clear about I'm really talking about for the show. I'm not telling uh, people listening that you're griefs are worth it because they reveal love like that's a cold thing to say about real people but for a show Mm -hmm. the joy and the grief together are showing two um are showing a whole picture of love Mm. love in pain and love in joy both at the same time and it's not quite as straight like it's like you need the rain for the garden to grow. You don't need the grief, but love is going to lead to grief. Mm-hmm. You can't have love without grief. You just can't. Yeah. And we get them all mingled together in this episode, like right on top of each other. And I love the way the episode gives both sides of that space. Mm-hmm. And we end with like, she made booties for her baby and she gives one to the baby that's being buried and puts the other on the... Uh, she do um uh abiel beset and puts the other on her son who is alive and it's like such the symbolic representation of like joy and grief and they're they aren't separable mm-hmm. one pair of booties one pair of booties so i think that brings us to the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah is there anything else you did wanted you have to? did you have a favorite part of this episode i I think that um, I'm going to say that my favorite part was uh, Sheila and uh, Sister Julianne's conversation in the chapel. Mm. 
There were a lot of moments that I really liked. There were a lot of moments in that chapel I really liked. Yeah. I also really liked uh, Delia and uh, uh, Patsy eating fish and chips at the chapel. Like that was not not the same level, but it was uh, like another great moment in the chapel. Mm-hmm. What was your favorite part? I think uh, we didn't actually mention the exact moment, <laughs> but I think when Sister Evangelina arrives and Terence is sitting out in the hallway mm-hmm. and she says, "Let's get you a cup of tea." And then Phyllis comes out with the cup of tea for him. She already has it. Yeah. And so, and that moment of, like, change in Sister Angelina that she recognizes, oh, this woman knows what she's doing. Yeah. And they say to each other, let's show these younger midwives how it's done. It's never easy, is it? But we can show them how it's but done. We can show it's how it's done. So that, the idea of that... Uh, it's it's just yeah I love that I love that moment of them being the senior midwives of even like Barbara is very inexperienced but Patsy is not yeah but it doesn't matter she's still oh. inexperienced like she's still she's a brisk Patsy who is efficient and competent is absolutely broken by this and she comes to Delia when she. Uh, finds Delia in the nurse's tent. That's what she says. It's like, yeah. I had to take charge. Yeah. I had to pretend that it was okay, but it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. Yeah. That's... And that, like, there's le- the levels of experience, right? Because uh, Barbara was not able to take charge. Mm-hmm. Patsy is able to take charge, but is not okay. Mm-hmm. And... Phyllis and Sister Evangelina are able to take charge and yeah, and be okay. Yeah, and they're upset. They're upset, but they're, but not, they're not like so upset that they're not able to handle it. Yeah, yeah. It's never easy, but we can show them how it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful moment. So I think that's my favorite moment. Is that it's a good moment? Yep. This is a uh, really good but sad episode. Not as sad as the last one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not over. The last episode was like yeah, the, that broke me. Heart, most heartbreaking episode. Let's not talk about it. Yeah, no, <laughs> we're this not one. That. This is a beautiful episode. I thought in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. It was. All right. So, uh, lastly, how can you get a hold of us? You can find us if you want to talk to us about this episode or any episode of Call the Midwife. You can find us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can email us Poplar Opinion at. Academy. Is it Clockworks Academy that yeah. is? <laughs> Poplar at Clockworks Academy or Poplar Opinion at Clockworks Academy. They both work. Um, you can, we have a Discord that you can uh, join. There will be a link to that in the show notes of this episode where we'll chat, chat about the show and this season. And uh, there'll be another episode soon. <laughs> There's no end. That was the end. We also we also have a Patreon. Oh, we have a Patreon! Patreon.com slash clockworkscast, where you can support us and all of our endeavors of various kinds. We appreciate it. We would appreciate it and do appreciate it. And those of you who already support us, we appreciate you. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat, and that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.